We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. It almost boiled down to a simple statement my assistant made to me that we basically need to sign players who can shoot, draft players who can shoot, trade for players who can shoot, and cut players who can't shoot. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers. The Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Yes, 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 and welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast for another week. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, John Little. Happy Conference Tournament Championship Season to you. My goodness, it's coming fast and furious. How many championship games were there on Sunday? There were at least half a dozen, right? Maybe even more than that as far as teams earning their spot in the NCAA Tournament. And we've got a bunch more coming up this week as well. I'm going to get a taste of some of that sweet, sweet conference tournament action. On Wednesday, I've got Conference USA. They do that tournament in Frisco at uh, the Ford Center at the Star. That's where the Dallas Cowboys practice. And so I've got a couple games, UAB and Louisiana Tech at 11 a.m. Central on Wednesday. And then, or that's 1130 Central, I believe. And then at 2 o'clock Central, it's North Texas taking on Charlotte in that tournament. And you can find those games on ESPN+. And then I'll be doing Southland Conference tournament games down in Katy, Texas. That's near Houston on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And those will all be right around that same time. I think those are 11 and 1.30 Central Time each day. So you can find those on ESPN Plus if you want to catch some uh, great women's college basketball. And... um. Yeah, so naturally, because it is women's college basketball season, we're going to talk WNBA. (laughs) We had the opportunity to talk to Nikki Collin for the second time, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, and it was just such a busy time when it came to just 
the torrid pace that free agency went this season, I thought it was so fortunate that we had the Atlanta Dream reach out to us. Wonder if we wanted to speak to Coach Collin again about what she went through during free agency. And I thought, uh, heck yes, absolutely. And as always, she was forthcoming. She was knowledgeable, of course. Uh, She pulled back the curtain Uh, to use that catchphrase on so many things around the Atlanta Dream. But even if you're not a Dream fan, this is going to be good for you to kind of hear about how the free agency process is working in the WNBA. I think it can extrapolate out to the other 11 teams in the league as well. So really appreciate Coach Collin joining us. Coach Nikki Collin with us here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Coach Callen, besides basketball, what's been filling your time here in the offseason? Oh, gosh. I am a lacrosse mom, a cheer mom, and uh, just doing a lot, you know, in the community uh, PR-wise with the dream. So I definitely stay busy, that's for sure. Well, excellent. And there's always plenty of basketball. With the CBA uh, finally getting done last time that you and I talked, we were kind of uh, speculating as to when the CBA would be done and what the impact would eventually be when that did uh, go down. Um, From a coaching and from a team perspective, the point at which it came down, did that have any effect in the offseason at all, or was it kind of like an offseason as normal, uh, just based on the timing where it got done? I think it was It was a little of both. I can tell you that there was, um, you know, times that you're just sitting back and, you know, you're spending a lot of time thinking about directions you might like to go, but wondering uh, what the implications were of that. You know, we, we had gotten some... Um, sense for maybe where the cap was going to go, but not so much the logistics and, you know, the difference between a max and a super max and who could get that and who couldn't, or, you know, restrict becoming an unrestricted free agent after five years instead of six. And so, you know, there's, there's all these little pieces that until it was done, um, you could only speculate on. And so you do a lot of what if this, then that. Um, But until we got you know, really what the CBA looked like, then it was a incredibly fast and furious process to try to figure out what that meant immediately in a year, in two years. Um, you know, so it, it's been crazy. I can tell you that. Well, that's a good point that it's not just about this year. It's about down the line as well and how things uh, kind of line up. With that in mind, before we get into the individual moves that you made this year, the moves that I, you, you didn't make, so to speak, uh, what did you have to keep in mind for the future when you're thinking about you know years to come and this CBA and particularly how it will impact the Atlanta Dream? You know, coaches, professional coaches always have to think about now, of course, you know, we're not, we don't have six year contracts um, like you do in college. And so you can't um, underprepare for now. At the same time, when you think about the numbers and the logistics and, you know, Tiffany Hayes and um, Elizabeth Williams being under the current CBA for two more years. And then what does that look like in two years when they come off, you know, and there's a lot of players you know, that, that have fallen in that situation where, you know, you've got players in this league that some people are saying are now overpaid. And you certainly have a lot of players in this league that are going to be underpaid for a year relative to what other players may or potentially two years. And so you really have to think about as you're doing these contracts and these new contracts and you suddenly have more money 
Um, but you have to think about what is it going to look like a year from now? How many people are we going to have coming off contract in a year? How many people are we going to have coming off contract in two years so that you can keep some sort of, um, balance and, and consistency to your roster and, and, and truly take care of the players that, you know, deserve to be taken care of. Because we've got to remember that, you know, uh, Atlanta, while you guys are coming off a, a rough year and we talked to you in the middle of that last year, you know, two years ago, you're the talk of the league. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what's the feeling about regaining and recapturing some of that uh, magic from a couple of seasons ago and, and what pieces that remain that will help take you there again? Why do you feel good about 2020? Well, I feel good because I think when you uh, when when we went in uh, to the off season as a staff and even talking to current players and thinking about what direction we were going to go, there there's certainly it was almost um, it almost boiled down to a simple statement my my assistant made to me, you know that that we basically need to sign players who can shoot, draft players who can shoot, trade for players who can shoot, and cut players who can't shoot, um, because unfortunately, you know we just couldn't put the ball in the basket last year and we still defended at a pretty high level um but you know could never gain enough traction offensively um to to really be good on both sides of the basketball and so in in a world where analytics have become more and more important and you have to have the eye test and you have to have the right pieces and you're always going to have um pieces that fit for a reason other than analytics um whether it's a, a certain role that that a player plays for your team on or off the court. But, but I think we had to get to where, you know, we could catch up with the analytics that we could really shoot the basketball, that we were only going to be successful so long, um, not being able to shoot the three. And so, you know, that we identified that as certainly something we needed to get better at. Um, and, you know, going out and signing Shakina Strickland, who is one of the premier three point shooters in the league. Um, Courtney Williams, while a low volume three point shoot shooter, a, high efficiency three point shooter um, and someone that's continuing to develop her game and and really want that shot and even search that shot, not to take away from her mid range game. Um, But even glory Johnson um, as someone who over the course of her career has, has truly developed to the three point line and allows us to play much more positionless basketball. I mean, don't be surprised to see Kalani Brown shooting threes in our system. I mean, certainly she's six, seven and we're going to get her on the block and, and let her do some damage down there, but, Uh, I'm going to let her trail and shoot threes. If she can prove that she can shoot the three, I just think when you look at what Washington did, when you look at um, Junkwell Jones in Connecticut, and you look at where this league is going with Stewie and and Howard playing at the arc, you know, you have to play a little bit of positionless basketball. So I think we've, we've gone out and identified um, those as needs and done a pretty good job of plugging in the right players to, to fill those needs. Yeah, absolutely. It does seem to play into your hands there. Can you tell us about recruiting or however you want to term it, uh, Shakina, and asking her to come in? What sold her on your vision as she comes from a very successful year and a successful last couple years with Connecticut? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty lucky. Um, you know, I, I I can go back. My relationship with Shakina goes back to you know, when my husband took the Arkansas job and she was a junior in high school and certainly someone who always wanted to be at Tennessee, but coached against Shakina in the SEC, um, had the luxury of coaching her um, in Connecticut a, a year, her her first year when I was there, not necessarily her first year, but mine, where she didn't get the playing time 
Um, and then the second year I was there where Eliza Thomas truly transitioned to playing predominantly the four spot, which allowed Shakina to get minutes and, and stretch the floor. And so, you know, I think for her, um, she probably went into free agency thinking she would go back to Connecticut. I mean, I, I think there's a comfort zone there. She knows how she fits. She knows how she gets shots. Um, but I think when, when Doana Bonner um, signed there, I think that changed the dynamics. Um, and she saw her role very differently there. And, you know, I think this is a point in her career where it was a combination of I could offer her more money. Um, I could get her closer to home. She has family here in Atlanta and most of her family's in the Southeast anyway. Um, so she gets to, you know, she's 29 years old, opportunity to play in front of friends and family more often. And then she knows, I mean, I have a relationship with her. We, you know, she knows that I know what she's good at um, and that I'll find ways to get her shots. And she knew from playing against us how badly uh, the dream needed someone to make three. So I think she immediately feels like, I can plug that hole for them and there's a comfort in who I am um, and having worked with me before. And, and then once again, just um, new opportunity, opportunity to play in front of friends and family. Uh, very cool. And, uh, you know, kind of the same thing with, uh, with glory. I, I've gotten an opportunity to talk to her in person several times, just being here in Dallas and, and getting a chance to, to cover that team. Um, I, I find her just a, a very compelling person in a compelling interview. And obviously, you know, a, a veteran presence that, that Dallas will miss. What do you like uh, bringing in glory? Yeah, you know, I, um, I've, I've referred to her and I know we're not supposed to do this on the women's side to some degree, but she's, she's very Draymond Green to me. Like, I think she has a, the ability to play multiple positions, to guard multiple positions, to defensive rebound and get us in transition. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see her as a small forward, but I see her as someone who can grab defensive rebounds and push the ball um, and get us quickly down the floor and, and really change the pace of our team. Um, I thought we also needed, you know, outside of shooting, I thought we needed a little toughness, um, a little grit, um, you know, someone who's not afraid to get on the floor, who's not afraid to mix it up. And and we all know that um, she certainly has a history of that, of, of playing fearlessly. And I think that's really, really important for us. Um, and I think she was ready for a bit of a reboot, you know, so I think from a timing perspective, it was a really cool opportunity. I, I really went into it. Um, when I talked to her the very first time on the phone, it was very much a, let me just gauge how I feel about our conversation, how she speaks to me, how, and we just, you know, we just really hit it off. I mean, she's a mom of twins. I have twins. Um, and so it was so, such a good conversation. And it, and it started with, um, you know, just a little bit about me, a little bit about her. Let's get to know each other. Now let's talk about basketball. Then let's talk about how like she was so all into talking about how we can make her a more efficient player. And I think that the interesting thing about glory, and this was the question in, in some ways I posed to her when I talked to her on the phone was, you know, as her game has developed. Okay. So she came into this league as a great athlete rebounder attacked the basket. Um, you know, but people didn't really guard her on the perimeter a whole lot. You know, kind of waited, sagged off her, made her come to that, them, um, but, you know, she's developed her game and her game is actually much more developed than when she came to the league. Ironically, her numbers have gone down. Um, and so from a production perspective, even though she's added to her game, her production has in some ways gone down. Now, some of that's who's on her team and, and, and the changing dynamics of, of where she's been. Um, but, but I think 
she'll have a chance to showcase some of the things that she's really developed over the years um, and that they can be really, really important to how we play. Um, and so kind of selling her on that and at the same time saying, okay, here's, here's where you are inefficient. You know, if we look at your shot chart, like let's really talk about, you know, how we can be better at utilizing you and you can be more effective. And so she's someone that just um, really um, a, a very interesting, not unlike you said, I mean, just very easy to talk to. Um, not exactly the person that you would think you're talking to when you see her play. Um, you know, and, and I kind of, I think there's a, I think Glory Johnson may be a little misunderstood. And I've said that about, you know, Tiffany Hayes, um, when I first got here and, and how easy it is to coach Tiffany Hayes. And, and I think she's just a little misunderstood because she's so passionate at times, super frustrated with officials. Um, but she's a grinder and she shows up to play and she's a great teammate. And, and so I think, um, I just really like the vibe I got from her and then really how we could utilize her in our system. When you and I talked uh, a couple months ago, uh, you, we were talking about uh, what a, you know, uh, a blessing and a curse the, the core player thing is. And Gloria has been a core player there with, you know, Tulsa and eventually Dallas, um, you know, and, and spending her entire career in one organization, although it's a couple different geographical stops. What sense do you get from her that uh, you kind of alluded to it, you know, just just after a while? just that change in scenery is is good for a player and that's not always something that players are afforded when they are an above average player in the WNBA. You know, I think it comes with like a chip and and having that chip on your shoulder to to reprove yourself. I mean, I think this was a unique year where um once again you because of the the increased salaries and things players are like looking at other players and, oh my gosh, she got that, you know, why am I not getting that? And so I think there's, um, I think it's a way to, to challenge players to say, you know, if you want to be at that level, then, then show us, you know? And I think she's someone who really has continued to develop her game and has the ability to be really good statistically at both ends of the court um, and be really versatile. Um, but I, but I think, you know, whether it was numbers or logistics you know, it hasn't happened as much, whether it was injuries here and there, um, you know, just not really ever being in a flow, um, but always being respected. I don't think there's anybody in the league, coaches or players who don't respect her game um, or what she brings to the table, um, you know. And so, you know, I'm just excited to see, you know, her kind of hopefully like develop and flourish in a new situation, you know, when she is out to prove a little something again. And, you know, is once again, you know, we we've managed to not only fill our team with great players, but players who are also very regional. That doesn't mean they're all from Atlanta, um, but Glory getting closer to Knoxville where she grew up is a big deal for her as well, you know. And so even though Atlanta is a great city in and of itself, like having regional players um, is good for fans. Um, you know, having two Lady Vols has been a huge thing, you know, in terms of social media and, and bringing some Lady Vols back to the area. That's a great point there. You know that uh, that fan base is dedicated. There's no doubt about that. And also, uh, you know, while it's not regional, the Baylor fan base has been very big. And Kalani Brown, you bring her in. Um, what do you think uh, she learned in her first year in the league? And, you know, what is she ready to bring you in conversations that uh, you've had with Kalani? Yeah, I mean, she was so excited um, the day we, we made the trade. We had a great conversation on the phone. She's someone that, you know, we really, really liked last year in the draft and were, 
you know, when Indiana took McGowan at three, we, we had this little bit of hope that she would drop all the way to 11. Um, not surprised she didn't, but always kind of questioned that fit. I know Penny um, told her really, really liked her. Um, but I think once they, they secured Cheney in the trade, um, it certainly made playing time uh, really difficult. Now she obviously played behind some really, really good players um, there. And even Vadiva, uh, once she was healthy and back, um, is really, really skilled, big, big kid. And so I'm not sure. I know one of the things Kalani has said to me, um, we had lunch as a staff with her last week. Um, her family actually lives right here in Alpharetta. Um, and so, you know, another player who, even though she's from Baylor, like she, this is home, you know, right now, even though she grew up in Louisiana. So, um, you know, but she said she's like looking forward to being mentored by Elizabeth Williams because, Elizabeth Williams is a little bit more of a, a five, you know, even though Elizabeth doesn't have the size that Kalani has, you know, she's a, a rim runner, a rim protector, a roller, um, you know, kind of a more traditional post player and, and Kalani sees her more in that role where certainly, you know, you had the versatility of NECA and Cheney and Vidiva and Candace Parker. And so she was different, you know, and that doesn't, that's not always a bad thing. Like that can be, the different thing could be what make what separates you because now you can play against this certain type of team or that certain type of team. Um, but I, but I know she's excited for the mentorship that she thinks Elizabeth will bring that she's, she's kind of cool and calm and, and shows up and with a consistency night in and night out. Um, but I think for her, it's just all about opportunity and she's someone we, we liked going into the draft last year. We think she has the ability um, you know, while McGowan had an incredible rookie year um, and was obviously a great, great pick by Indiana, you know, most people would have said going into last year's draft that Kalani was a better offensive player, um, has legitimate range, you know, and showed it in college. Um, you know, Kim Mulkey didn't need her to shoot threes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, their their high-low game with Lauren Cox was too good uh, to not put her around the rim where she was going to shoot 70%. Um, but I think for us, she's someone that, you know, in a league where there are still some big guys, you know, I mean, Liz Cambage and Brittany Griner and Sylvia Fowles and Tierra McGowan, um, you, you got to be able to play with them. You know, you got to have someone that at times can play them one on one because you get in trouble um, if you're constantly having to double. So having someone, you know, with her size that can can single up against those players while at the same time offensively she runs and moves better than anyone would think um, someone at her size could do. And then I think she really can shoot the basketball, like her stroke, her lefty stroke is really, really impressive. And so, you know, I just, people aren't going to, shouldn't be surprised when I start letting her fire threes. And, you know, I told her like, it's not, we're not going to take 10 a game, you know, but if, if you watch the NBA and you see, you know, five players shooting corner threes or shooting the three in the trail, I mean, that's more likely where it's going to be. We're not going to spend a lot of time flare screening her out to the arc for threes. Um, but I think situational, she can create a lot of spacing that way and open the floor up for Tiffany Hayes, open the floor up, um, you know, for Courtney Williams. And so it's, it, 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 once again, it becomes this game is all about spacing. As we talk more and more, it, you know, it, it just feels like you've had such a quiet, good off season when everybody else, not everybody else, you know what I'm saying, when, when there are three or four teams that are making these big splashy moves, uh, mm -hmm. you guys have, have made the moves that are available to you and some really solid moves. 
And it, you know, it kind of flies under the radar. Does that put a chip on your shoulder as a coaching staff, you know, where everybody is talking about uh, the moves that, um, you know, uh, so many other teams in the league made to form a big three, or like you said, uh, Connecticut getting Bonner in and Las Vegas doing this and L.A. doing that. You guys, uh, you know, haven't been paid much attention to this solid offseason you've had. Well, I'm excited about it. I mean, and, and that's, I think, what matters. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we were we were last in the league last year. And so, you know, we, we couldn't sit back idly and, you know, hope that things were going to change without, you know, forcing some change. Now, I mean, we went in with a very specific game plan in terms of roster positioning. And, you know, I had my staff in. Not that we weren't talking before then, but I had my whole staff in market in early January and we, we put, you know, a wish list together and, and, you know, we, we pretty much, you know, hit it. Um, certainly didn't know, you know, the Courtney Williams thing was going to play out um, the way it did. But I, I think that, you know, I, I've said all along and, and I don't, I don't want to offend anybody in this league because the reality is you got 144 of the best players in the world. And while some of them are multi your Olympians and, you know, multiple time all-stars for us to some degree, I kept saying like, we're trying to hit singles right now, you know, let's hit singles, let's hit singles, let's get the right players because we know, we know how to coach the right players and we know how to succeed in those situations. And we felt like we'd done it two years ago um, in getting Breland and Renee Montgomery and filling some holes that we needed Um, And so it's, I'm not, um, I don't lack confidence in terms of, you know, if we get the right pieces, you know, it's going to take us working really, really hard to get a new group of players playing together, you know, and we spent a lot of time thinking about, and even looking back at how much change is too much change, right? Like, are we, if if suddenly we have seven new players, (laughs) and have turned over over half of our roster, is that too scary? And ultimately, we just decided it wasn't as long as they were the right players. So, yeah, I mean, we've clipped along and and made decisions and and some of them didn't come to fruition. I mean, Tiffany Mitchell really wanted to be here and Indy had the ability to match a Stu Endor had had the chance to come here um, and, and is another one of those like big players who can make threes and got really excited about us and, and Chicago matched on her and traded her. So. It's not as if everything that we um, set out to do worked out. We were just prepared to make the next move, Um, you know, when when plan A, you know, became plan, you know, B or plan B became plan B one, you know, like um, so, you know, I think we were really organized going into it and kind of had a plan and and have just clipped along and, and tried to improve our roster. And you mentioned Courtney as well, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about her because obviously she was, um, you know, just such an emotional piece of Connecticut's outstanding season. And uh, she was a little bit, you know, I I think it came from exactly the right place. But, uh, you know, when things went down and she couldn't stay in Connecticut, she was a little bit outspoken about it being at least on social media about, I guess, in the end, this is a business. And, you know, in some way I'm heartbroken and I'm sure she's going to give everything to you that she she possibly can. Um, But when you've got a situation like that, you know, how do you try to to help Courtney through that? Or do you think as a professional, she's, you know, obviously we've got to mourn something that happens like that, but you just got to move past it. Do you think she's already moved past it here a couple weeks later? 
Yeah, I'd say, I mean, Courtney's just a competitor. She loves to play basketball. She's excited about playing um, close to home. You know, her dad will be here in Atlanta. Her mom's barely seen her play in her career because she doesn't like to fly. Um, and so she's come to the games in Atlanta. So while I think there's a bit of a, right, there's a morning on one side of it of I'm leaving something behind. I'm leaving people behind that I love playing with, that I competed at a high level with. Um, but to some degree, those will always be your people, um, you know, in her mind. But I think this situation was one where I think she can she can really flourish in what we do. And I think, you know, even some of the things she likes to do off the court, you know, give it she has great opportunity um, here in Atlanta. And uh, so I think she's looking at the bigger picture now. Um, I think she's past the emotional side of it. I think we're past the. Um, you know, the social media stuff, whether they should have posted the thank you picture sooner or not. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it, it's, it's, there's 12 teams in this league and, you know, even, even for me, um, you know, Kurt Miller is one of my best friends um, on the planet. And uh, so, you know, at some point the, one of these things were going to happen because there's only 12 teams in this league. Um, and, you know, sometimes like I, I you know, it, it's certainly not, for me to get into the why or how or any of that. Um, but I'd be crazy to not be excited about what Courtney Williams can bring to the table, both on the court and off the court. And, you know, she's someone that plays with a joy that the fans um, fall in love with at all ages. Um, you know, she just truly plays with an energy and, you know, that's, that's what we need as we're kind of in this re boot like let's let's get excited again about the dream new logo new arena you know all these these new things um you know she's just someone that that i think will bring a lot of excitement um to atlanta i really appreciate that uh that answer there and and you go into depth on that you know um i think about you guys having the number four pick and i i don't want to get anybody in trouble but when top players declare a little bit early and things get loaded up and, and you're toward the top of the first round. Is that something that, uh, just speaking generically, that coaches, you know, and, and GMs and stuff get excited about, like, all right, this is uh, this is good for us at four? Absolutely. I mean, we've been saying that, um, quite frankly, since <laughs> the lottery balls fell and we were at four. And, you know, it, this always seems to happen, and I'm not saying in this situation this is the case, but... You know, if you have the ninth pick, you usually feel like there are eight good players and then you have nine. You know, if you have the 13th pick, you're going to think, oh, there's 12 good players. And then I've got 13, you know. So so what it does is just certainly add more talent, uh, more depth to this draft. And Asatu Sabali declaring early um, a player that obviously, um, you know, a lot of teams are going to like. And, and a year from now might have been the number one pick um, had she stayed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that when you're at the top and it, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're in the middle or the bottom, when really good players declare for the draft that are underclass and you instantly know that means someone's going to be pushed down to you. It's a positive for coaches and GMs in this league. Not that we suddenly want, you know, juniors consistently coming out. I mean, it, it needs to be players that are doing it for the right reasons and, and feel good about it. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be become a trend. Um, while the new CBA certainly gets players to unrestricted free agency faster and they make more, you know, I, I just, for me as someone who spent a long time in the college game and, 
you know, I, I wouldn't want players to give up the opportunity that college affords them, you know, to be in a world that where that it's not a business as much. And I know we, I know you, we can talk to our blue in the face about has college athletics become a business, but I've coached there. I've been there. It's different. You know, it's a different world. You're still around your teammates all the time. You're still going to class. There's still, it's totally different than when you're working paycheck to paycheck, even if it's something that you're doing that you love. And so, you know, it's hard for me to ever like sit back and like want to encourage players to not get the full four years experience. Um, but, you know, as you start to talk, talk about players who are redshirt juniors or um, have have found a way with the way things are now where they can graduate in three years with summer school. Um, I think we're we're not taking away them from the educational opportunities that college has afforded them. It just becomes, are they giving up eligibility? And, and certainly for some players, that means maybe giving up an opportunity to win a national championship. And for others, you know, they're, they're not in that situation. So maybe their career is less driven by that. As far as the marketing agreements um, with players that was a part of um, the new CBA, is that such an early in, an, in such early stages that hasn't been able to really develop yet? Or is that something that you got to talk with a potential free agents about this time around some of the ideas that the, that the dream has to, to maximize their earning potential while they're in the Atlanta Metro? Yeah, it is absolutely um, immediately became a part of free agent conversation. So um, it's just, you know, there's a difference between, you know, teams have had uh, marketing dollars, but not requirements to spend it. Um, and, you know, even though it's the same amount this year as it was last year, it, you know, incrementally goes up and becomes more significant over time. So, yeah, I think it's a way to build that in. I think as players begin to make more money in our league as veterans, and then all of a sudden you add that to the package, now they start reconsidering whether they would go overseas. Now, I don't think there are, there are players that, are still going to go overseas because if they can make half a million to a million overseas um, in an off season, you know, and, and that's a handful of players, you know, that's, that's not the majority of the league, but, you know, I think they're going to still have a hard time not going over there. Um, but, but I also think it, it does incentivize them to stay to some degree and, and to keep their bodies um, from being too worn down too beat down as we continue to talk about load management and that being it, you know, obviously a hot topic, um, across professional sports, but, um, yeah, it's a part of it. I think the part that is not developed yet is the, is the league side, you know, and the, the league idea of, of potentially spending up to a million dollars a year, um, and not knowing what that looks like, you know, there's not parameters for that yet. And, and the league is going to make those decisions. Um, and uh, so that we don't know about. And, and the teams don't control that anyway. That's very league-based. But that's a bigger pot, you know. So all of a sudden, if, if a player is getting both um, a high salary, a super max salary, even a, you know, a regular max salary, and then they're, they're getting team marketing dollars and league marketing dollars, then you know, they're going to start to do pretty well um, for playing basketball half a year. Absolutely, they are. And <laughs> as far as things are set up with Atlanta, I feel like this uh, this question was on my mind, but uh, I think in the way that you've talked about things, it shows how, uh, you know, you're right at the forefront 
of of the process of, of bringing players in, and you should be. But but how is that split between you and Chris as um, you guys are going after free agents and stuff like that? Is it just like a constant open uh, text where you guys are just texting back and forth the whole day, or you're sitting in the same room, or um, you know, a three way chat with uh, agents? How is this uh, all going on during that process? Um, because obviously you're both very very plugged in what's going on we work in really good synergy um chris is someone who is really good at the facilitating part um you know but when it comes to the day-to-day if i'm calling an athlete that's that's always me um you know i'm on the phone with the athletes sometimes i'm on the phone with the athlete and um their agent um you know, there are certain agents that I talk to directly um, and others that have been in the business a long time. And, and Chris facilitates more. Um, Chris facilitates all the trade stuff. Um, and so, you know, he and I are in constant contact about, you know, what we're trying to do. But, you know, he definitely is the person that reaches out to the other GMs in the league about potential trades and, and what um, we might want to do. But it, it's always going to come back to the great part of how we work together, it's always going to come back to what do I think is best for the team? Like, what do I think, who do I want to coach? (laughs) Who do I think fits together? Um, You know, he's been in professional basketball a long time between the WNBA and then with the blizzard and the ABL before then. So, you know, he definitely understands the ins and outs and, and how to get things done. For me, I'm the relationship builder, you know, and sometimes that's with the player. Sometimes that's with the player and the agent. Um, and then, you know, we find a way to kind of mold them together and he's going to do their contracts and get their contracts to them. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's constant. There's a, a lot of times it's, I'm on the, on, I'm on the phone with a player or an agent and I get off the phone and I call Chris and say, here's what we're thinking on here, you know, or maybe it's me going, okay, what if we threw this number at him? Do you think this is a good number? You know? And so we, we do a lot of that. And at times, I mean, through free agency, Um, We had a lot of, you know, we had that automatic conference call in number and, you know, a lot of times before we'd make those decisions, I got my two assistants on the phone and it was the four of us talking about it because they were, they were there at the beginning. I mean, they were there, um, you know, we've gone through all this together. I may be the one that are, that is making the calls, but, you know, I know they're the ones that are, that are going to help, you know, make these guys better players. And, And so, you know, there's a a lot, I mean, free agency. I mean, there were days, um, that I would joke even with agents, like at three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm still in my pajamas, um, because you kind of get up and you make one call and that call leads you to another call, which leads you to another call. And you just keep circling and circling. And, um, so, you know, my, my, you know, I've been a head coach for three years in this league and the three have been totally different when it comes to free agency my first year you know we we had certainly opportunity with protections and and room to make decisions but you know we 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 got angel back under contract and i really just went and chased renee and breland i mean i just chased those two and then it came down to talking to a couple people about camp contracts you know maggie lucas uh blake dietrich players that that ultimately made our team um And then last year I was just making calls to get to know people because I had no money and no protections. And so, you know, calling Derek Ahambi or Kareem 
Christmas Kelly and players like that. And just, you know, starting dialogue with them and saying, Hey, if you want to sign with the dream for no protection in 80,000, like I'm your girl, you know, but you know, it was, there was very little pressure in terms of, um, you know, we didn't have room. We didn't have salary cap. We didn't have guarantees uh, to be able to do anything. So it wasn't that I wasn't working, but we had wrapped up. We, we had signed Elizabeth before the season started. We got Tiffany extended before the end of the season and so, you know, this year has just, just, I mean, it's been crazy, you know, just the, how fast and furious and how consistent, you know, it kind of was for about, you know, it's started to slow down last week, but I would say three weeks of, of pure, um, around the clock crazy. I really appreciate you pulling back the curtain so much, and you're one of the best in the league at doing that, and I think it helps the fans as well, and it's one reason the, the fans like you so much. Our first podcast with you had uh, had just great listening numbers, so we appreciate that, and I know the fans do too, and so I'd be remiss if I didn't let you out of here without you know, <laughs> pumping up um, you know, the new Gateway Center Arena, the atmosphere you guys expect there, and why uh, why you're excited about making the move. Well, I mean, it was a little bit, you know, it's it's always hard you know, it took two years to get back to State Farm, you know, I mean, I, I've joked that, you know, it'll be my third arena in three years, um, you know, and a big part of the move from Georgia Tech was getting back to State Farm and, and really, you know, having that professional atmosphere and, you know, but there's no doubt that in a 20,000 seat arena, um, that even when you have 6,000 people, um, it just, it can feel hollow. And, you know, we, we obviously didn't have our most successful season on the court and that affects fans. Um, but, you know, I think the beauty of women's basketball fans is, is they tend to be fans of the players. And, and when you have great fans, they're, they're fans that want to help them win the next game. You know, even if they've struggled, like that is what a great fan base can do. It's not about cheering on a team who's having success. It's about being a part of the success and like pushing a team that needs a little bit more juice, you know, in a game. And I think what gateway was, um, when I knew we weren't going to be back at State Farm, I mean, I was a little bit disappointed. I'm not, you know, I'd be, I'd be lying if I, if I said, you know, after being in there and the professional feel and, and everything that they had added through the renovations was pretty spectacular. But, you know, it was when we got to Gateway and I met Mercedes Miller, who runs um, Gateway and also the convention center, and Giannis, who's head of the facility, and and it just. There was a different level of commitment to the dream. There was a different level of this is we so badly want the dream. And and that feels good. I mean, we're all we're all humans by nature. We all have this desire to be liked. We all have this desire to be wanted. And, you know, I just really felt like in a um, certainly a city um, with a lot of professional teams and there's a lot of things that people can do um, to really feel appreciated and was was awesome you know and i think that um from the way the the arena feels to even back a house i think as much as it's a smaller venue i think our players are going to get treated really really well there i think they're going to feel like superstars um and you know i think that's what's important to them like feeling appreciated and then creating an environment where people don't want to play um because it's it's going to be loud and and it's obviously near the airport and one of the amazing things is that, you know, it's insulated so that you don't hear um, the planes uh, when you're inside of it. But to me, all that says to me is that when the noise amps up, it's all going to stay in. It can't get out either. You know, noise can't get in, but noise can't get out. So, 
you know, I'm just excited to see the kind of environment that our fans can create and how that can kind of will our team along. And so I, I think it's just, you know, after a, an unsuccessful season and a disappointing season, um, I, I think we're just excited kind of for all the newness, you know, some new players, uh, new arena, new logo. I mean, we're just, we're really excited about where we're going. Awesome. Coach Colin, thank you so much for your time on a Monday morning. It means a lot to us. So, and uh, congratulations on the success you've had this off season and uh, hope everything else as you work your way toward the draft goes well too. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That's Nikki Collin, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Really privileged to have her on for a second time, and hopefully there will be a third here in short order. Thank you so much, Coach Collin. I want to invite you to rate and review the podcast if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. I think we've got 40 ratings on there right now, several reviews as well. And, hey, if you leave a review and it's, you know, uh, not just, Hey, nice pod. You know, if it's, if it's something a little bit more deep and meaningful, I, I'll i read it on the show. I'm not going to be shy about doing that. I'll give you a shout out. You bet I will. You could also reach out to us on email at podcast at herhoopstats.com. Podcast at herhoopstats.com. Coming up middle of this week, we've got a special podcast for you on Thursday night. Um, the great Charlie Cream has... Uh, has uh, donated his time. He's decided he's going to spend some of his time with us to talk about bracketology heading into uh, the selection Monday next week. So on Thursday of this week, Thursday night, I'll be dropping a special podcast with Charlie to talk about how the field is looking according to him. What are some of the key factors to watch as we go through the weekend and look at the conference tournaments and I think it will help everybody that has already had their team get plucked for the NCAA tournament because they won a tournament it'll help you understand where your team is probably going to be seated as well and if you've got a specific question for Charlie just email us podcast at herhoopstats.com and I'll make sure to get that question in thanks again to everybody involved in this show as always our executive producer is Aaron Barzilai. Our music is by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com. Susie Solis is our announcer, and I'm your host, John Little, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we're unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Her Hoop Stats.